Romans 8, 29 through 30. Right there it is. Romans 8, 29 through 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let's pray. Lord, the depth of your word is so incredible. Lord, there are truths that are so far beyond us. And Lord, today is one of those days. Um, I pray that you would please help us to scratch the surface, Lord. Put our hope in you, Lord, and what your word says, although our minds won't be able to get around it completely at all. So Lord, do this miracle in the preaching of your word. Prepare our hearts, God, that this word would go forth and produce fruit, Lord, for your glory and for our joy. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How are you all doing today? A little light because there's a meeting after the second one, right? Um, okay, I have to say I'm speaking as a father, not as a mother in this situation. Um, okay, when you have a child that is in the womb, as a husband, as a father, you don't have the connection that the mother has. And I know that because the little one's kicking around. I remember, I think it was whichever one it was, and um, Lisa was, uh, she was up against my back and the little child was moving, okay? And that just, ooh, I didn't like that. Now, okay, to each his own, right? I saw aliens. I had a hard time with that. (laughs) I'm just, I'm being straight up honest about that. I said, babe, you know, can you kind of move back? And so the mother, I'm (laughs) being... Ask her. <laughs> and um, like I said, to each his own. And anyway, but it was amazing because she had that connection with the child. I didn't. But something that I had was I loved that child before that child was born. Before I had any real connection with that child, I loved that child before they were born. You could say that I foreloved that child, even though I didn't have any experience with them. I didn't uh, have that physical connection. Uh, I think there's just something supernatural when that happens, not just physically, but also emotionally. And I did not have that, uh, that the mother had, but I had this forelove. And you know what? The great news is this is that according to the word of God, before time began, God chose and loved his children. Isn't that incredible? Before time, God chose and loved his children. Because that's what the Bible says. Let's take a look at God's word. Start in Revelations. This is an interesting point. All who dwell on earth will worship it. Talking about the beast, okay? Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Before the foundation of the world, 
That book of life was there with the names of all those who would be believers in it. That's what it's saying. And also in 17 verse 8, the dwellers of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast. So there's a book of life. What that all means, I don't know. But it has names in it. Uh, there are other little hints that we see throughout Scripture. When, if you remember the story of the rich man and, and uh, Lazarus, isn't it interesting that the rich man's name is never mentioned? But he didn't go to heaven. Lazarus's name was mentioned. Then we go into Romans 8, 28 through 29. And we know that for those who love, whoa, look at that term of love there, God, those who love God, all things will work together for those for good, for those who are called. That word means appointed or specifically a saint. That's what it means, according to his purpose. For, okay, so he's adding this here. He's saying, okay, those who uh, love God, all things will work together for those who are called according to his purposes because. Why is that possible? How can that be? Because or for those whom he foreknew no love beforehand he also predestined, predetermined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what it looks like. It's a hard uh, truth sometimes to get our heads around, but we look at God's word, and there's, there's a lot more verses that we could use, but I'm trying to keep it concise because sometimes I have a problem with that. Um, because God chose to forelove you, he predestined you to be glorified with him forever. Think about that. Because God chose to forelove you, the choice in time before time, God made a choice. He was going to love you. He's going to make you one of his children. So he predestined you to be glorified with him forever. That's what God's word says. Now what we like to do, because we're, this is kind of one of those those doctrines that are hard to really get our heads around and it's hard to receive. But it doesn't say this. It's not saying that, listen, God looked down through history and what God did was he saw who was going to receive the gift of salvation. And so because he knew who was going to receive it by their will, then what God did is he put them on their, his list. So God looked ahead saw who was going to receive the gift of salvation, and then he put them on his list. Uh, when you think about it, and you get kind of right down to where we live, that still wouldn't give people totally free choice, would it? Because the end is already determined. Right? Just saying. But imagine if that were true. Imagine if that were true, that God looked down through history and saw which men would choose him, so then he chose them. Then the, then the book of Romans really doesn't make any sense. And you have to throw out Romans chapter 3. Because what does it say in Romans chapter 3? We're all depraved. There's none that seeks God. No, not one. Nobody seeks God. As a matter of fact, people are unable to seek God. They're unwilling to seek God. So unless God does something, man would be man, and we wouldn't be seeking God.
Take a look at God's word again. Romans 3, 11 through 12. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, either that's true or it's not. And it says nobody would seek God on their own just because they want to seek God. In John 6, 44, Jesus speaking, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. God has got to draw them. There's got to be something where God is drawing people or they will not come to God. And I will raise him up on the last day, the ones who received that gift. In 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And it goes beyond just the cross. We love because he loved us. That's a picture that we have here. What we see is according to Scripture that sinners choose Christ because God first chose and called them. And then what he does is he moves in their hearts, he moves in our hearts to choose Christ by renewing our hearts. That's what Scripture shows us. That God works in us in advance. He prepares the way. He has got a, a plan in advance. And you see, salvation has to be somebody being sovereign. It has to be either man being sovereign, and God reacts to his choice, or God is sovereign, and man reacts to God. And throughout Scripture, we know that God is the initiator. God is the one who initiates things, and his creation responds to God. Not the other way around. You know, God wasn't surprised. Oh, no, what happened with Adam and Eve? Boy, I had a completely different plan for them. Boy, I didn't see that coming. So when it comes to this, this salvation, it's either God or man is sovereign. We have to choose who. And God's word says he is. Think about this. Without God being sovereign... How could all things work for your good? It's not possible. It's not possible. Because God wouldn't know what's happening. So if all things work for your good, then God has to be sovereign in order to make that happen. That's why it's tied, these verses, for because all things work for good, because for those who he foreknew. He predestined. You see, all events could not work for our ultimate good and God's ultimate purposes if man were sovereign and not God. And I want you to know there's this, this, this mystery here that all human acts are free in the sense of immediate determination. But it's also an outworking of God's eternal purpose and foreordination. How that works, don't ask me. But it's all over the Bible. I used to be in another camp. I used to be in the opposite camp. And you know what I couldn't get past? The Bible. I 
I could not get past the Bible. I kept coming across these words, predestined, foreign, all these things, and it made me uncomfortable, just straight up honest. And what happened was is I could not get past God's word, so I was pressed into this uh, dilemma. Do I want to believe what my heart says, or do I want to believe what God's word says? And I've always defaulted to God smarter than I am, okay? So that's where I had to go. So I understand the, the turmoil. I still have some turmoil in this area with regards to questions that I don't understand. How does free will and God's sovereignty work together? Um, is free will defined as what I think free will is defined as? I have the same questions you do, but I know this much. God is sovereign, and I am so grateful for that. Because that gives me peace in the middle of all the storms. It quiets my heart. Gives me hope where there is no hope. I trust my God. I trust his written word. And so what we see is that God somehow foreknew. Well, what does that mean, foreknew? It doesn't mean that he was merely aware of that person or an acquainted with that person. But what this word and where it is placed in Romans chapter 8, 29, it implies an intimate personal relationship is what it's implying here based on God's sovereign choice before creation, before the foundations of the world. That's what it says. Now, think about that for yourself. Before the foundations of the world. God chose me and foreloved me. Take a look at God's word. Romans 8.29a, for those whom he foreknew, no love beforehand. Then we have Amos 3.2, you only, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. God speaking about Israel. So God didn't know about the other nations? God was kind of ignorant? No. It's talking about this relationship, this intimacy that God chose to put on a people who were even rebellious to him at that time. And he says, of all the families, I've known you. Then we go into Matthew. I think this is one of the hardest verses in the entire Bible because people have come to Jesus. Jesus said, in that day, the final judgment, in that day, they'll come to me and say, Lord, Lord. We prophesied, we did all these things in your name. And Jesus responds, Matthew 7, 23, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And they're confused. They're saying, I did all these religious things. What do you mean you don't know me? That's Jesus speaking. So new here isn't about information, is it? Wow, forgot your name, didn't know what it was. Because God is omniscient. He knows all things. So this new can't be a gathering of information. It has to be more. It has to be this intimate relationship. And then in John 10, 14 through 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. There's an intimacy there that is being talked about. It's not just information gathering of facts. 
It's an intimacy there, a, a relationship. Now, you'll see I, I underlined for those whom he foreknew. It, it, it doesn't say, it doesn't say uh, for those he foresaw. Right? For those he foresaw. He gathered information. It says for those he foreknew. There's an intimacy there. For those he foreknew before time is what God's word says. When you put it all together, before time, somehow, God foreknew. And I love what John Piper said with regards to this. He said, for whom he foreknew is equivalent to for whom he foreloved. Isn't that sweet? For whom he foreloved. Now stop and think about this. Before any creation happened, before you crack open that Bible and look at, at Genesis 1-1, God somehow foreknew you and he foreloved you. How, can you. how can we compute that in our heads? We can't. I can't. But it comes over and over before the foundations of the world. God had this book of life. What does that all mean? I, I don't know, but it just says that, and so I believe it. And so what we see is this, that b- before the foundations of the world, God chose to forelove you, and because of that, he predestined you. So in response to his choosing you, his foreknowing you, he predestined you for something. He predetermined something for you. Take a look again at God's word. Romans 8, 29. For those he he foreknew, he also predestined. So predestined comes out of the foreknowing to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what you were predestined for, to become in the image of Christ. Not become a God, but become like Christ, character, purity. Okay, so he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might, Jesus, be the firstborn among many brothers. Something was going to change and Jesus was going to be the firstborn. If you remember when Jesus rose from the dead, it was talking about Jesus being the first fruits. And now we see the firstborn. Then we go to Ephesians 1, 5 through 6, 11 and 2, 10. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So there's God's will, and there's God's glory there, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, Jesus. In verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Doesn't that sound familiar with what we just read in Romans 8, 28? He works all things according to the counsel of his will. God's not responding. He's the initiator. And then 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. What did he prepare beforehand? The good works that we were going to do, that we should walk in them. What we see is that the word foreknow 
it speaks of God's choice to have a love relationship with you. That's what he's talking about, that God foreknew. God foreknew you. He made a choice to have a loving relationship with you. And predestined speaks of this prearranged plan to conform you to the image of Christ. For those he foreloved, he predestined them to be in the image of Jesus. And where that ends is eternally in glory with God forever. For loved forever. God made a redemption plan in eternity past for each of us, and he carries it out perfectly in time. Okay? So there was a plan for loved, and there was a plan for each of us how God would make us more like Christ in the image of Christ. And in time, so now we've got God, he's, he's foreloved, and he has predetermined this plan on how he is going to draw us to himself, conform us to, to the image of Christ. So in time then, now, how does that happen? It says, well, in time, God calls those whom he chose. There's a calling that God has. He calls those he forechose. And then he will justify those he called. So there's a calling in real time, and then there's a justification of those he calls. Again, let's take a look at God's word. Those whom he predestined, he had a pre-plan for, he also called. And those he, whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's the pattern. There's the pattern. Boom, 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 boom. And you say, where's sanctification in that? It's under glorification because the focus here in Romans at the end is about what God is doing in our salvation, not what we do. It's part of the sanctification process is, like I say, grace with blisters. But this focuses on God and his glory and his greatness and the process that God designed before the, the beginning of time, how he was going to do this. So this is all focused on God. And what we see is that sanctification is there in the word glorified. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Doesn't that sound like sanctification? Well, of course. We're being transformed into the same image of what? Of Christ. From one degree of glory to another. We become more like Christ. As God changes us, as God sanctifies us, we go from glory to glory is what it's talking about. We're moving towards uh, becoming more like Christ. For this becomes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's a work of God. Then in 2 Timothy 1, 8b through 9 we share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus, again, before the ages began. What is happening here? What we do is we mistake the meaning of the word called. We kind of look at it as an invite or an altar call. That's what we look at it like. We say, well, God made an altar call. You know, he gave everybody the opportunity. He said, hey, I invite you 
partake. That's not what that word means. It's not what's reflected in all of the epistles in the New Testament. What we see is that it's an effectual call is a term that's used by theologians. It's an effectual call that creates what it commands. In other words, God is saying, you have to have faith in what I've done, and then God gives us that faith. That's incredible that God would do that. In the epistles, it, is always, the res- it always results in salvation, always. So it's not an altar call, but it's this effectual call. Some people call it an irresistible call because God is doing this thing. Does creation... Who's, who's initiating? God again. What is creation's response? Or creation's responsibility is to respond to what the Creator says. And so we have this effectual call that creates what God would want us to have, which is the faith to believe. So even our faith to believe is a gift from God. Your faith to trust in God, your faith to believe in the Word of God is a gift from God. Because in our flesh, we would fight completely against it. That's what. Romans chapter 3 says, etc., etc. So there's this struggle, there's this battle that is going on. And then what happens? He calls those who he has chosen. And then he does what? He justifies them. How did that happen? Well, that's the cross. So God called, and then he justified. We know that we are sinners separated from God. We couldn't be good enough to meet the standards that God had, which was perfection. We had to be perfectly righteous, and we couldn't, because why? Romans 3 again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so we couldn't meet the standard. And God knew that. He had to justify us. He couldn't just, oh, well, I kind of like those better, so I'm going to just move them in and forget about their sins. He said, nope, I'm going to justify them. Christ lived that perfect, sinless life that was required. He was perfectly righteous in thought, words, and deeds. He went to the cross, and our sin was imputed to Christ. In other words, God considered it as if it were his. And Jesus was punished for all the believer's sins. And then God, this is where the justification comes, God imputed, considered as if it were ours, Christ's righteousness. So those whom he called, he justified by the cross. By the cross. And that imputed Righteousness of Christ. And then we see he glorified. He glorified those he justified. That's the end result. That glorified is part of the good that's talked about in Romans 8, 28. For all things will work for the good. Work for the good. What's to be glorified? To be like Christ. So we see that, that that's the good that is being talked about in 28. And so we come to this verse and says, oh, okay, so that's how God does it. That's the process that God lays out. What is this glorification? What does that mean? Touched on it a little bit last week. It means this, that Jesus is going to return the second time, right? And all the believers who have passed on before and are still on the earth, what will happen is there will be this instant, permanent, complete conforming to Christ. Instantly. What a day that will be. Amen? Instantly conformed, permanently, completely to the image of Christ. As I said, that does not make us gods. 
It's not talking about that. When you see the likeness of Christ, it means who he is in his, in his uh, character, his perfection, that he does not sin, never will. And so what we see is this glorification also means that we will be free from all sin, from the presence of sin. You're not going to be able to sin. That's what the Word of God says. I like that idea. I'm like Paul in seven. The thing I want to do, I don't do, and the thing I keep on doing, that, that whole battle. So we won't be in the presence of sin. We won't have an opportunity to sin. Thank God. And we will receive these glorified bodies that were like Christ's resurrected body. This is all that is talking about when it says that we will be glorified. There's these incredible things that happen. We are glorified. We are given this body. And then, Scripture goes on and says, and then we will be eternally glorified with Christ, the firstborn, the first one. That's what it says. That's what it's talking about here. And I love this word. Notice something. All these words are past tense. Right? Glorified isn't here yet. So why is it in past tense? Because from God's perspective, it's as good as done. That's why. It's as good as done. So that's why God, remember, it wasn't about Paul writing this. It was the Spirit of God writing it through Paul. So that's why we know that every word of, uh, in the Bible is God's word. And he chose to use past tense, not Paul. So it's as good as done. In other words, it's a guarantee. All of it past tense. Very interesting. You can do a study on that yourself. Very, very interesting. So that's a picture that we see. But we have to be careful that we don't slip into man-centeredness even here. Okay? Because what happens is, is that we could think that God's ultimate purpose is for our good. Right? And for all good things to happen for us. That's a goal that is accomplished because God's word says it's accomplished. But what's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is God's glory. That's what it says here. The ultimate goal is God's glory. That's what we see throughout all of history, all of time. God glorifying himself. God being exalted above all. Not focused on us. But somehow what we see here is that Christ is glorified even more when we are glorified with him. Christ is glorified even more when we are glorified with him. That's what scripture says. Again, let's take a look at a couple of verses. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. When he comes on that day, second coming, to be glorified in his saints. So somehow Christ receives glory when we're glorified. I can see why, because he goes, are you kidding me, Dan? What is he doing up here? It had to be a work of God, right? So God gets the glory. That's kind of my view of that whole thing. And to be marveled at among all who have believed. 
And then 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through, the, through our gospel. So what God does is he uses the gospel presentation to bring us to himself. But that's the general call, not the effective call. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may, what? Obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what that means. I just don't. I don't know how that lines up. And I'm okay to say that. I don't have to think I have all the answers because I don't. God's way too deep for that and I'm way too shallow. I'm just being honest with those things. But somehow that's the truth of God's word. It's somehow we may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I have no idea, but it means this, that Jesus is more glorified when we are glorified than if we weren't. And God is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And he is working all of history for his glory. Each step, the crazy stuff that's happening, somehow that's going to glorify God. I love that. That's where I get my peace. That's where I get my peace. In the Word of God, not in the uh, news on the computer or anything else. That's where I get my, you know. I, I heard one guy say, he said, I like to read the news to see what God is doing in the world. You know? <laughs> we do the opposite, don't we? We, we kind of read the news and we want to see how God's going to react. No, I, I read the news to see what God is doing in the world. Here's the great news. Is that because God chose to forelove you, he predestined you to be glorified with him forever. Think about that. God irresistibly called you in real time. He justified you by Christ's imputed righteousness. And he will glorify you forever. Those are promises in the word of God. That's why Romans 8.28 is true. Because God is sovereign and he will cause all things to work for you so that you make it to glory. That's what he's saying. God's going to make it all work. Take a look again at God's word. Romans 8, 28, 29. Again, we keep going back, but there's so much in there. Look at John Piper. How many weeks did he preach on just like one verse? So I'm just skimming the top. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He had a plan. For those whom he foreloved, he predetermined how he was going to bring them to himself. He had it all lined up. So it wasn't just Christ dying on the cross. It was much more than that. In Psalm 103, verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What are some of the benefits of what we just heard? And then Matthew 6, 32 through 34, For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Relax, hakuna matata, paradise awaits. What are the benefits? What are the benefits of really grasping this truth? What are some of the benefits? I'm just touching on them. We can have hope and not fear in the midst of world or personal instability. We can have a hope. It's not going completely out of, out of kilter and God's just kind of trying to figure out what to do. God's got a plan. God never causes evil. But either God is sovereign or he's not. And how that all works together, God knows. But I can rest. I can have hope in the middle of hopeless situations. I can have more trust in the Lord than worry about what's happening around me. Why? Because all things work for the good and God promised that he'd take care of all the needs that I have and he's saying, you know what, I foreloved you. I'll forelove you forever, Dan. I just, I just feel so unworthy and that's true, I should. But that's what God's word says. It can give us patience in adversity because we know that it is part of God's wise plan for us personally and ultimately for our good. And it can give us a contentment, a contentment that the Lord loves me. He foreloved me. He cares for me. He's going to give me what I need. And he knows exactly what I need. That's my God. You see, from the very first thought, before the foundations of the world, God chose you. He chose to forelove you. And from that moment, before time, until the day that you are in his presence, that whole work of salvation redemption is God. Is God. It's sustained and it's secured in his sovereignty. If he were not sovereign, it could not, he could not make these types of guarantees. It's sustained and secure in his sovereignty as he has providential control over our lives. That means this, that our salvation is absolutely rock-solid, secure, and guaranteed. Why? How can we be so sure? Here's why. Who originated it? God. Who brought it into effect? God. And who will complete it? God. You see, it's God. It's not us. And we stand back and we say, Lord, I don't understand this. And he says, I know, but it glorifies me even more when I do this in your life, Dan. And so I do not worry about performing in order to make this happen. God has done it. And the great news is this. Now when I want to walk in holiness, God is working in my heart and my desire is to be like Christ, not because I have to, or as we've heard it before, duty, but out of delight. Why wouldn't I want to be like Christ? Why wouldn't I want to do, live a life that brings honor and delight to God? Because of all he's done for me. 
And we're going to learn about that in a couple weeks, 31 through 39. It's great. But today, let's delight in the fact of this, that you were foreloved and you will be forever. And that's so hard to get our heads around, but it's true. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I stand in awe of you. There are so many hard things going on in everybody's life right now, Lord. And it's sometimes hard because we feel like, well, God, do you really love me? Are you really sovereign over all things? God, help us to put that doubt aside. Would you grant us the gift of faith to trust, to hope? God, that you're not finished yet. And you are the one who is sovereign over all things. So I pray now, God, that you would work this miracle of faith in our hearts, cause us to trust and hope in you, and help us to delight God in moment by moment, the way from eternity past, you foreknew us, Lord, and you predetermined the plan that you would draw us together so that we would spend eternity in heaven. Worthy are you, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.